an event that is so unexpected, so traumatic, that they send out seismic shockwaves beyond the point of impact. And the dates on which they occur become embedded in human history. In modern times, the events of 9-11, September the 9th, 2001, had a massive impact, not only on America, but throughout the world. In ancient times, there is another significant date that is our focus this morning. We could call it, with the American system, 3.15. On March the 15th, 597 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched through the gates of Jerusalem and looted the holy temple of the people of God. It was a day that many in the nation believed would never happen it was a day that many prophets, politicians and priests told the people could never happen. But it was a day that one man for 30 long years had said again and again was bound to happen because of the persistent unfaithfulness of the people of Judah to the Lord their God. His name was Jeremiah. So you might think on that traumatic day that the issue would be settled once and for all. Jeremiah was right and everyone else was proved wrong. But this wasn't the case because of what actually happened. Rather than reducing the nation and the city and the temple to rubble, King Nebuchadnezzar marched in, took the sacred object from the temple that were portable, along with the king of the day, named Jehoiachin, the queen mother, lots of leading citizens. And then he put the king's uncle, Zedekiah by name, on the throne. And he went back home to Babylon and to further military campaigns. So, what did the future now hold for the people of Judah? Maybe the worst was over. But Jeremiah told them in no uncertain terms that worse was to come. Far worse, as he had already prophesied. The Babylonians will be back and next time, Jeremiah says, they will raise the temple and the city to the ground. And the population then will face only one of two alternatives. Death or deportation. Yes, Jeremiah promised there was hope, as indicated by our title for this series, Living in Hope. But this hope, said Jeremiah, is in the distant future. It would be 70 long years before the exiles would return home to Judah from Babylon. But as before, not everybody agreed. And not everybody liked what Jeremiah said. There were other people, prophets, who claimed that the exile would soon be over, that the king and the temple treasures would soon be returned. In fact, within two years. 
So, two very different futures. Further defeat or future triumph. And two very different timescales. 70 years or two years. It was obvious which was more popular. But which was right? Would it be, our title this morning, would it be sooner or later? And that's our subject this morning. It's a subject that is not just of historical interest, of events that happened two and a half thousand years ago. But you will see, by God's help, that these events relate to our future. For our God is the God of history. He is the God of the nations. And how we respond to Him will determine our ultimate destiny. Not just for two or seventy years, but for eternity. So turn with me then to our passage for this morning, Jeremiah 27. Now, really it's important to have a Bible in front of you. You won't follow what's happening if you don't have one. So there are Bibles in the pews. If you can't see one, just ask someone to pass one to you. Get up out of your seat and, uh, and get one. It's page 787. We're looking at two related chapters. So we'll start off with chapter 1 and then God willing come to chapter, uh, chapter 27. Then we'll come to chapter 28. Page 787. And here's the setting that I've already given to you. Babylonians have been, gone. Uncle Zedekiah is now on the throne. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre and Sidon through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and the people and the animals that are on it. And I give it to anyone as I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and live there, declares the Lord. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people. You will live. Why will you and your people die by the sword, famine and plague with which the Lord has threatened any nation which will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore, I will banish you and you will perish both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. 
Then I said to the priests and all these people, this is what the Lord says, do not listen to the prophets who say, very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. They're prophesying lies to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and you will live. Why should this city become a ruin? If they are prophets and have the word of the Lord, let them plead with the Lord Almighty that the remaining furnishings in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem not be taken to Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says about the pillars, the sea, the movable stands and all the other furnishings that are left in the city which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon did not take away when he carried Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon along with the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says about the things that are left in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem, they will be taken to Babylon. There they will remain until the day I come for them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. This is God's word. Now, the theme of this chapter, 27, is simply this. Bearing the yoke. Once again, Jeremiah is told to use a visual aid to get his message across, much like we do with our children's talks. Sometimes wonder in sermons, maybe we ought to do the same thing and uh, make you all a little more alert. I haven't brought a yoke along this morning, but most of you know what a yoke is, though we don't use them in our society very much these days. A wooden crossbar laced with leather thongs. And instead of using it, the Lord says to Jeremiah, to harness two animals together, he says to Jeremiah, put it on your neck as a visual aid. The yoke is a symbol of submission. Good example. Way back in the history of Israel. Isaac, the son of Abraham, told Esau, the elder of his two twin boys, that the younger one, Jacob, would serve him. But he prophesied this. Genesis 27.40 You will live by the sword, you will serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Same picture. Now, surprising enough for an older brother to serve a younger brother. What was far more surprising was the submission that Jeremiah was to symbolize by wearing this yoke on his neck. Jeremiah's yoke symbolized submission to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And the Lord says to Jeremiah, give them this message. Rather than resisting the king of Babylon, the only wise course of action is to submit to him. Resistance is useless. And this applies not just to the people of Judah, it applies to all the surrounding nations. So Jeremiah is instructed to give this message. First of all, he is to wear his yoke and he has a message for these kings. Verses 3 to 11. We've just seen the G8 leaders meeting in Germany. Okay, this is a G6 meeting in Jerusalem. Envoys have come from the surrounding nations if you know your geography, Edom, Moab, Ammon, and the city-states of Tyre and Sidon. They're meeting with King Zedekiah to discuss the international situation. You see, all of them have been subjugated by King Nebuchadnezzar. They're all vassal states, as we would call them. But Nebuchadnezzar and his army have gone back home for a very good reason. Nebuchadnezzar has problems back home. There is internal strife and there is also rebellion on his eastern front. So they call this international conference and they say, hey guys, this is a great time to break away from Babylon. 
Maybe we can ally ourselves with Egypt down south instead. Seems like a great idea. Just the kind of thing politicians would sit down and say, yeah, that's a good plan. I love to think of this, you know, these guys sitting around this big conference in Jerusalem and suddenly there's a bang on the door and in walks Jeremiah with a yoke on his neck. Maybe it is amusing, but they discover that the yoke is no joke. All right? <laughs> Jeremiah simply says to them, forget it. Resistance is useless. If you resist, it will lead certainly to destruction. Verse 8. If any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck and rejoke, I will punish the nation with the, the trilogy of terrible things. Sword, famine, plague, declares the Lord. I'll destroy it by his hand. And Jeremiah says to him, I know you've got all these advisors. I know you've all brought your own spiritual gurus and advisors. But don't listen to lies. Verse 9, don't listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesied lies to you that will only serve to remove you from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. The only way, he says, the only way you're possibly going to survive this is to submit to the king of Babylon. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. Maybe Jeremiah walks in, it's possible that he walks in with a yoke and he's got his neck through one of the loops. And maybe he says to these envoys, come and join me, there's a spare one here. Bow the knee, bow the neck. We can only imagine, I'd love to see the headlines if you had tabloid newspapers in those days and pictures and and headlines. And Jeremiah's not finished. He then repeats the message specifically to the king of Judah, Zedekiah. He says the same thing. Submission is the only way to survive. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people. You will live. Verse 12. And he says the same thing again. He says, don't listen to the prophets. They're telling you lies. Verses 14 and 15. Those who say you will not serve the king of Babylon. They're prophesying lies to you. I haven't sent them, declares the Lord. They're prophesying lies in my name. As a consequence of listening to those lies, the king and his prophets will be banished into exile because resistance is the certain way to disaster. Therefore, I'll banish you. You'll perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. And Jeremiah's not finished yet. Next, he says, I've got a message for the priests and the people. Verses 16 to 22. Very interesting. They have a very specific agenda that's their focus concerning the articles from the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And these prophets specifically were focusing on their speedy return. In the Bible Speaks Today commentary, Derek Kidner writes, the emotive issues were the hopes centered on the temple vessels for people have always focused more passionately on holy objects than appeals for holy living and a swift reunion with the exiles. And those issues are still emotive issues today. The kind of things which stir up religious fervor. But Jeremiah has a clear message and a different focus. He says, don't listen to these lies about their speedy return. Then I said to the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord says, do not listen to the prophets who say very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. They're prophesying lies to you. And he says, if they want to focus on something, tell them to pray that the remaining articles and people aren't carried away as well. 
So he returns to the message of the yoke. Submission is the only way to survival. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon. You will live. Why should this city become a ruin? The Lord will bring these things back, but only in his time. So, let's just summarize where we've come from, and then we'll come to the point, all right? Jeremiah's yoke means submission to the king of Babylon for kings, for King Zedekiah in particular, for the priests and the people. But it was much more than that. For the submission that Jeremiah is demanding is much deeper than that. Jeremiah's yoke really means submission to the Lord. And these are amazing verses in this chapter. The Lord is not some local parochial deity like those worshipped in the neighbouring nations. No, Jeremiah gives a message to these envoys to send back to their masters, the kings of those nations. That the Lord, he says, is the creator God. He owns the whole earth. He parcels out nations to whom he pleases. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that run it. I give them to anyone as I please. And at the present time, because of the sinfulness and rebellion against him, the Lord has parceled out the land of this region to the king of Babylon. Verse 6. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I'll make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Now you can read this and think, oh, this is just, you know, you can skip over the words. But listen, these are amazing words. Here's the superpower of the day. The greatest king on earth. And Jeremiah says, the Lord says, that's my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. He's my lucky. He doesn't know it, but he's doing what I tell him to do. And he'll only last as long as I want him to last. Oh, yeah, one day he'll get his comeuppance. But in the meantime, the Lord's word to you is, in submitting to Nebuchadnezzar, you are submitting to and obeying the Lord. Now, I simply pause to ask you, Do we have such a vision of the Lord who is king of the nations? Do we believe that he's Lord of the nations? That every nation, every king, every president, prime minister, leader from George Bush to Osama bin Laden, if he's still alive, is under his sovereign rule, working out his sovereign plan until that day when the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, as another prophet Habakkuk said. Do we believe the claim of God's Son, Jesus, when he says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, because all nations one day must come and bow their knee before Jesus, who is Lord of all. We sang it, come let us worship Jesus. King of nations, Lord of all. Think about what you're singing. Think about it with your newspaper in one hand and your Bible in the other hand. Do we believe that history really is his story? And dreadful and terrible though it may be, even through the dreadful events and terrible and awful people who have temporary power in our world, God continues to work out his purposes and his plans. That's behind the message that Jeremiah proclaimed. So as he walked down the street, 
with a yoke round his neck, people stopped him and said, Hey, Jerry, man, what's the yoke about? And he said, Submit to the king of Babylon or you'll die. You can imagine, it didn't make him the most popular guy in the nation. And the message was literally too much to bear. The yoke was too much to bear for some people as we turn to chapter 28. Now, follow it with me. I'm not going to read it through, but I'll take you through the story because the second theme of the second chapter which relates to it is breaking the yoke. Later that year, verse 1, another prophet appears on the scene and he confronts Jeremiah right in the temple. It's like a guy comes right into church as I'm preaching. Happened occasionally, but not very often, and says, Rubbish! You got it all wrong. He's got a different message altogether. His name is Hananiah, which means in Hebrew, the Lord is gracious. It's a very appropriate name for this man because he's got a very gracious message. Notice he uses the same words as Jeremiah to introduce what he says. Verse 2, this is what the Lord... Almighty, the God of Israel, says, but he's got a different message. He says, the Lord Almighty says, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Couldn't be more different to Jeremiah's message. And he says, not only that, within two years, the articles from the Lord's house will be returned, and the king who's been deported, he'll be back. And then to make the point, he concludes with the same message. End of verse 4, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Nothing could be clearer. Nothing could contradict Jeremiah's message so directly. Notice, however, somewhat surprisingly, Jeremiah's response. Instead of dismissing Hananiah outright, he responds by saying, as it were, I pray you're right. Jeremiah said, Amen! May the Lord do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you've prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Some people think Jeremiah's been a bit sarcastic here. He's saying, yeah, amen, right, brother, whatever you say. I don't think he's using the word amen so lightly. I think he's expressing a genuine desire that Hananiah might be right and that he's wrong. Let me say this. Anyone who enjoys proclaiming judgment shouldn't be doing it. Anyone who enjoys preaching about hell shouldn't be preaching. A mark of the true prophet and preacher is to wish that God's judgment might be averted. It's God's own character. What did God say through the prophet Ezekiel? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 33, 11. And you hear the heart of God speaking. Nevertheless, the consequences where people do not leave their wicked ways, the consequences must follow because the wages of sin is death. So Jeremiah responds as it were to Hannah and says, I pray you're right, but I know you're wrong. Nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms, but the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. Notice what he's saying. The normal message is one of judgment, because that's normally what happens because of human sinful nature. Anyone who claims good stuff needs to be vindicated by what actually happens because it's so unusual. 
Is it not true, I've said this before, is it not true that today the opposite seems to be the case? Messages of judgment are rare. Messages of peace are the norm. Gracious Hananiah messages are far more likely to be welcomed than Jeremiah judgment messages rejected. And this is what happens. For when Jeremiah finishes, very dramatically, notice Hananiah's action. Verse 10. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. He broke it and he said to the people, this is what the Lord says. In the same way I'll break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon off the neck of all the nations within two years. Powerful, symbolic act. There's no reaction of the record... uh, There's no record of the reaction of the people. I'm sure they're impressed and reassured. They probably said, yes! But there is a record of Jeremiah's reaction. Notice how he responds in two ways. One immediate and one later. First of all, notice what he does. No word from Jeremiah. At this, imagine Jeremiah standing there. He's had this yoke around his neck. He's been claiming this powerful message. This other prophet comes along. He smashes the thing. And he says, the Lord will break the yoke. What would you have done if you'd been Jeremiah? I know what I'd have done, and I'd probably live to regret it. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. It's remarkable, isn't it? He just turned his back and he walked out. He probably looked an absolute fool. Everybody thought, that's Jeremiah done. Humiliated in public. You see, so often we react immediately and hastily in similar situations. And you can even win the argument, but you can lose the battle when you lose your temper. It's better to lose face before God than before people. Better to wait on God and his word for vindication. And Jeremiah waits, and eventually the Lord says, I've got another message specifically for that guy, Hananiah. This is the Lord's word to Jeremiah, to Jeremiah for Hananiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says, you've broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you'll get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I'll put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. They will serve him. I'll even give him control over the wild animals. So Jeremiah seeks out Hananiah privately, not publicly, and he speaks to him, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. Yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth this very year. You're going to die because you've preached rebellion against the Lord. One commentator writes, Hananiah had announced life for Judah, but his own destiny is certain death. So the word of the Lord through Jeremiah is proved true. That of Hananiah is proved false. In the seventh month, of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. It's a serious business to speak God's word, to prophesy things and to say things that are going to happen. And the people of Judah, you see, as we, as we kind of draw to a conclusion, they faced only two options and two consequences. The first was to bear the yoke, to submit to Babylon, and then they would live. The only other option was to break the yoke, which led to death. And tragically, it was this option that the people of Judah chose. But behind this refusal to submit to the Babylonians was a refusal to submit to God's word. Philip Bracken, in the commentary I've recommended of preaching, uh, writes this. The reason for their punishment was that they had thrown off the yoke of obedience to God. Near the beginning of his ministry, Jeremiah had conveyed this message from the Lord. Long ago, you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds and said, I will not serve you. 
by now it's becoming increasingly important that breaking away from obedience to God never brings freedom. Instead, it brings slavery to some harsh taskmaster. The gentle yoke of obedience was replaced by the brutal yoke of oppression. Service to God replaced by servitude to Nebuchadnezzar. It's the consequence. And all that Jeremiah prophesied came true. A few years later, the Babylonians did invade Jerusalem. If you know your history, 586 B.C., this time the temple and city were raised to the ground. Those that did not die were deported to Babylon. And there most of them, including King Jehoiachin, remained and died. And the people of Judah remained in exile. Not for two years, but for 70 years until the Lord remarkably chose somebody else to deliver them. Isaiah actually calls him my Messiah. His name was Cyrus, another heathen king of Persia. And finally the people of Israel came back to Jerusalem with the sacred objects to put back in the rebuilt temple. Now we began, and I'm almost concluded, with significant events and dates in modern times, 9-11. In ancient times, 9th of September 2001 AD, 15th of March 597 BC. But you notice as you look at those dates, something you can easily overlook. You see the words AD, BC? Because between them stands the most significant event in human history by which the world, even today, traces its calendar, most of the world. The most significant event. Six centuries after Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah, a birth took place where? In Bethlehem of Judea. No ordinary birth, but God himself in the person of his son Jesus becoming flesh. In what may well be an ancient hymn in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes of this event and the humiliation of the King. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And it looked like death and disaster and defeat. But when he cried on the cross, it is finished. It was actually the triumph of the king. God declared it by raising him from the dead. Philippians continues in those wonderful words. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Father. Every knee will bow. The wise people bow the knee to King Jesus now. You see, when they bowed the knee to Nebuchadnezzar, it was no fun. They survived, but that was all. They lived under the terrible rule of the ruthless, brutal Babylonians. But King Jesus issues an invitation to those who are weary and burdened of living under the slavery of sin and the yoke of sin and death. Here's the invitation of King Jesus. And notice his words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that wonderful? His yoke is easy. Fits just perfectly. His burden is light. And the challenge of the Christian message, the good news, is bow the knee to King Jesus and enjoy the yoke that he gives to you. Like the people of Judah. We can refuse to submit, refuse to take his yoke, refuse to listen to the word become flesh. And if you do, you face continued slavery and finally judgment and death. But if we accept his invitation, if we bow the knee and take his yoke upon us and receive him as Savior and Lord, then we'll experience life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel. Good news. Bow the knee. Let's pray.